Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and this is the podcast for therapists about the things that we do in our practice, the ways that we serve clients. And this is a timely episode on for those MFTs and PCCs out there who are now eligible come January 1st of 2024 to accept Medicare as a payer in your practices. These are steps that you have to do regardless of whether you opt in or opt out of accepting it. How you might get to the decision of whether you should opt in or opt out and all sorts of other wonderful information that we're presenting to you. So that way you can get it done before January 1st. Part of our episode today, we are joined by Joy Alafia, the executive director from the California Association of Marriage and Family Therapists. And I'll also give credit to my wonderful co-host here, Katie Vernoy, <laughs> who has done a lot of research into this and is going to guide us through all of the ins and outs and leave you with absolutely no questions left whatsoever with all of her expertise. <laughs> I don't think that's actually true. We're going to we're going to give you some broad strokes and uh, at least uh, get you a little bit closer to the decision and the steps you need to take. Plus, we'll have some great links in the show notes to help you if you need to figure this stuff out. And so our first part of the episode here is with Joy Lafia. So thank you very much for joining the show. We're ex so excited to have you, Joy. It's been wonderful to get to know you as our, I guess, not quite new uh, executive director for the California Association of Marriage and Family Therapists. But we're going to start with the question that we ask all of our guests, which is, who are you and what are you putting out into the world? Thank you, Katie. And first, let me just share how delighted I am to be with you and all of your listeners. It's just really an honor to be part of your podcast. I'll start a little bit about me. I have a background in the sciences, a degree in physics, and later on went to uh, obtain an MBA. So I would say I had a rather circuitous path into the association world, but I would say it's one where all of my experiences seem to aggregate for good use. So it's been very beneficial for me. I believe in the power of associations to create community through our members and having those members really uh, align for a mission that yields societal benefits. I mean, that's really what it's all about. I'm also rooted in the integration of DEI+, plus, the way I see it, embracing that framework of diversity and empowerment is really a way to address some of our most pressing needs. So Katie and I have talked about our efforts to 
get Medicare passed uh, in the past, and we've shared about some of our trips to D.C. and even visiting some of our local representatives' offices in our advocacy over the years. And we are not the only ones who have put some work into this. <laughs> that we are but a small piece of the, the greater picture of getting Medicare passed for MFTs and PCCs. Can you help us to kind of help frame what is some of the history that isn't just Katie and me having done some of this work? Yeah, well, first, thank you for being part. I, I look at it almost like a marathon where you're just passing the baton to the next group of volunteers and folks to really see how we can get this across the finish line. When I first joined camp, I had a great interaction with a member and that member shared, if you don't get Medicare done, I don't know if I'm going to be a member anymore, which oh, I thought, wow. okay. The gauntlet is dropped. That's pretty easy. <laughs> and it seems like this has been a perennial issue, right? And it was no small undertaking. So just to give some context, the legislation was first introduced in 1999. So you're looking at nearly a quarter of a century to get it passed. And I'm so glad that we were able to finally get it passed. So you you both know you were kind of part of that inside ball camp worked with 15 different associations and also worked with AMPT as part of those associations and collectively created the Medicare Mental Health Workforce Coalition, which consisted of a group of lobbyists, association staff, and it was further bolstered by really the work of our respective members and the members being able to tell those compelling stories of why this was important and those connections that individual members were able to make with their legislators was very instrumental in getting this legislation passed. Um, you know, as you shared, we would go to DC every year, except for the COVID years, to advocate and meet with our elected officials. And sometimes we'd see legislation pass in the Senate, but not in the House or vice versa. So it finally pulled together in 2022. You know, I'll say there's a lot of reasons for this legislation, not the least of which is access. There are so many Medicare patients, mostly those over 65, who are without any mental health care. And for some Medicare beneficiaries, there are studies that have shown that there are areas of the U.S. and even in California where a patient would have to travel three hours or more to find someone who could even take them as a Medicare patient. So uh, much less having room for them in their caseload. So I think there's an importance for the, these master's level clinicians who haven't been uh, Medicare providers before. This is the the counselors and the marriage and family therapists. But why is it important for those of us who weren't in Medicare before to understand what inclusion in Medicare, what it means to, to us? You know, perhaps I'll start with just the sheer number of individuals uh, whose lives will be transformed by this legislation. So there are over 275,000 additional mental health professionals who will be able to provide services to over 65 million Medicare beneficiaries across the country. And 6.6 .6 million of those beneficiaries are residing right here in California. That's huge. That's so big. I mean, to me, it seems like there's such a need. It just... It's crazy to think how long it took for us to get there, almost a, a 25 years. Like that's and 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 being there, you know, talking to folks, it was they weren't clear on why MFT should be involved or why counselors should be involved. And then there was the the cost. Like if if we give more insurance, more people are gonna 
use it and then it's going to cost more, which is ridiculous. It's really important to just honor the work that KAMFT and AAMFT have done and and ACA and, and all of the lobbyists because I think it's it's so powerful that we finally got this across the finish line. What does it mean now um, with with what the legislation is? Like, how do we understand this as as our responsibilities now as potential Medicare providers? I want to, if I can, just jump in on one point that you you raise in terms of the passage. Sure. And I do see that a big challenge was the concern about costs, right? I think we finally had a moment in this country where there was bipartisan support and recognition that mental health issues affect a lot of people. And it's not a red or a blue issue. It's something that needs to be addressed. And the cost part of it, as I understand it, historically has been a huge barrier to getting this legislation passed. And when we look at the numbers, one in four, approximately one in four Medicare beneficiaries have a mental health challenge or a substance use disorder, but then only 14% of these beneficiaries receive any mental health services. And then the issue is even exacerbated when you look at mental health disparities for historically marginalized communities. And so I think the framing of this for the politicians and the legislators was that we're paying for this regardless. So it makes more sense to invest in providing the care on the front end versus, you know, what can potentially happen, the different types of ways mental health crises manifest uh, for an individual and even in society when you're not able to care for these individuals. We, MFTs in California are the largest behavioral health provider in the state, comprising 55% of the behavioral health workforce in California. So it's it, it is surprising that it took this long, but at the same time, I think it took uh, an awareness of both the cost benefit and the need in our country to bring it to this level. So I would say in terms of what, if I'm getting to your question, hopefully I, I remember it. <laughs> For MFTs, inclusion in Medica- Medicare is, is meaningful because it really legitimizes MFTs and the expert care that uh, MFTs are so capable of providing, whether it's mental health or trauma therapies to our most vulnerable populations. And I would say for those MFTs who are listening, the important thing that they need to know is whether to opt in or opt out. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. All right, let's dive in on that. 
people are dying to know. We, we've started to see like you need to do something. Let's talk about kind of the, the process of, of signing up, because even just doing paperwork or going through government forms might be reasons that people just choose to opt out in the first place. But practically, what does it look like to sign up right now? That's an important question. There are really two ways. First, LMFTs or counselors who wish to work directly with Medicare, they can do so in the original fee-for-service Medicare Part B uh, system that they must enroll in with CMS. And they can do that either using the PCOS system, and that's CMS's online application program, or the paper application. And I would really encourage folks to use the online system because paper obviously will just take longer. And if you have any errors in that application, it's just going to be harder to correct that versus the online. You'll get some of that feedback real time. We can put links to these things in our show notes over at mtsgpodcast.com. Thank you. And and it's a little bit of an alphabet soup. So, you know, I'll put <laughs> also to our Medicare corner where folks can see, you know, some of the FAQs there as well. The other way to get involved is to go through your insurance companies. So for those who wish to work in the Medicare Advantage, Medicare Part C uh, system, they'll need to reach out to the Medicare Advantage plan or plans they wish to contract with. So for example, Blue Cross and, uh, or else they can expand already existing contracts that they have. Uh, to see Medicare beneficiaries. There's a list of the Medicare Advantage plans and their contact information that can be found on CAMP's Medicare Corner in the Medicare Advantage section, as well as CAMP's Medicare Provider Enrollment Guide. And we'll put those in our show notes too. What if somebody is really busy and doesn't opt in or opt out? I, I understand that this is possibly the worst position to be in, but uh, what happens if you just kind of don't do anything as it pertains to Medicare? Well, you, we really hope that your listeners and they share within their community of MFTs and counselors that you have to do something. Waiting and doing nothing is really not an option. The concern is that a patient might bill through Medicare and the provider may be found to have fraudulent billing. And so that's really what we're trying to address. And, and when that occurs, you might have to reimburse the client for the fees or there may be other actions. So really, it's important to make sure you opt out if you know you do not want to see um, to use Medicare. I was prepared to make a joke that the Medicare police were going to come after you, but that actually sounds like <laughs> what happened if you actually don't do anything. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know what this really looks like in practice, but do you want to chance it? So, you know, as of January 1st, all LMFTs become Medicare and counselors become Medicare eligible providers. So really, this means you have to take some affirmative action, even if you decide you do not want to be part of the Medicare system. So the term opted out provider means the provider has chosen not to participate in, in Medicare and LMFTs who choose not to be involved in Medicare, but do not take appropriate steps to opt out. You know, you could be accused of insurance fraud and wind up having to, again, refund payments for services to patients who are Medicare beneficiaries. So you have to you have to opt out or you're still considered kind of in this gray area where you're not quite a Medicare provider but you're not not a Medicare provider. Correct. So how do you opt out? 
This is when I say go to our website (laughs) (laughs) to find out more. But it's a two-step process. And, you know, we have information on Camp's Medicare Corner about what that specifically looks like. So it should not be too difficult and but you do need to take action. We either have to opt in or opt out. If we don't opt out, the Medicare police might come after us. <laughs> <laughs> so I have some some Medicare clients or, or they're Medicare eligible clients, and I currently see them private pay. If I decide n- to opt out, can I still see them? Yes, you you can actually. So you can treat a patient who is a Medicare beneficiary, even if you've opted out of becoming a Medicare provider, opted out providers would just want to make sure to inquire at the outset of treatment whether the patient has Medicare. So we've had a lot of providers assume they only need to discuss the issue with patients 65 and older, and that's not the case. Uh, you know, there are other conditions that that qualify to be a Medicare beneficiary. So. So if you are seeing someone who is on Medicare and you have opted out, you will just need to have them sign a consent form indicating that they understand that you do not accept Medicare. Okay, that seems easy enough. So going back to those of us who have opted in, so to speak, uh, what are the reimbursement rates going to be? Original Medicare fee-for-service rates are determined by the physician fee schedule, which is revised annually. So. To get an idea of what those payments amount to, members can use CMS's provider payment lookup tool, and I'm sure you'll have a link to that. We will. To help determine exactly what they would be paid since the rates ultimately depend on the geographic location and if they're working in a facility or non-facility setting. Medicare Advantage rates are determined by the Medicare Advantage plan. So providers should contact their Medicare Advantage plans they are considering working with to get a copy of the plan's fee schedule. What types of services are going to be covered? Is this just where there's only going to be one CPT code? Or is this something where, uh, especially for people who work in family systems kind of work or couples work, what are the available options that are there for providers? Well, it's the whole gamut. Uh, As you know, MFTs and counselors are able to treat anything from the DSM And now they can provide all of those mental health services through Medicare. So CMS's Medicare Learning Network publishes a helpful booklet titled Medicare and Mental Health Coverage. And when you go to pages 22 and 25 of that booklet, it lists the CPT codes Medicare covers and or pays for. The physician fee schedule final rule also adds crisis codes to the list. So really want to look at that booklet. It's soon to be updated to reflect the final rule, which spells out exactly what the payment will look like for 2024. In the meantime, Camp is publishing an article summarizing the final rule, which can be found on, again, you guessed it, our Medicare corner. We've got, we need to opt in or out. We need to make sure that we're paying attention to, you know, how this works, potentially going straight through Medicare or the Medicare Advantage plans. Am I missing anything? What What are the, the real responsibilities for the master's level clinicians at this point? Well, if I haven't made this absolutely clear, the main responsibility would be to take action to do something, either enroll and make sure you enroll properly or opt out. But please do something take action here and tell your friends to do the same to make sure they go to our website and get educated on this. We have free webinars 
on the variety of options, what it looks like. You can share those. We cannot impress enough on your listeners the important that all counselors and MFTs take action to protect themselves. Is there anything else that MFTs and counselors need to know about Medicare that we haven't covered yet? The one caveat I'll also share is we're learning more every month, uh, and we're still, as an association, we're interacting with CMS and getting clarity. So things can potentially change. We don't see major changes and certainly not a change to the rule that has been released, but uh, how it's implemented as we continue to educate CMS, there may be some clarification there. So always visit our website. We update our website as well as when we get new information so that, you know, the providers also will have that information. Any provider working on the original or the fee-for-service Medicare Part B side should make sure to just to subscribe to their Medicare Administrative Contractors or the MAC newsletter and attend MAC provider trainings. Providers working in the Medicare Advantage system should be sure to obtain access to the Medicare Advantage plans, providers, portals, review their providers' contracts, and the plans, provider, handbooks, or manuals. Uh, They may also want to sign up for the plans, provider, newsletters as well, and keep their eye out for any communication from the plans. Thank you for your time uh, today and sharing all of this. Where can people find out more about you and CAMP and the webinars and resources that you have going on as it pertains to not only this, but all of the wonderful things that CAMP does? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Thanks for the plug. And I would say go to our website. So camp.org slash Medicare. That's our Medicare corner There's so much information there, but we attempted to organize in a way to answer all of those pressing questions that newly enrolled providers or those that want to opt out would have. So go to our website, camp.org slash Medicare. And uh, I think we highlighted a few other websites as well. And you could find those also within the camp.org slash Medicare website. And we'll include links to that as well as the other resources in our show notes over at mtsgpodcast.com. Thank you for all of your time and wonderful wisdom. Yeah, thank you for having me for the opportunity. We're just really excited about this and the number of patients that therapists and and counselors can serve and certainly want to get the word out. And I, I hope that more people are able to enroll and help with the the critical need that we see in this population. So thank you for the opportunity to share. It was really good to talk to Joy. I think it gives us a good overview of what the journey was to get to Medicare. And I am so excited that MFTs and counselors take Medicare as, as providers because I think it adds credibility. That being said, I don't know that being a Medicare provider is for everyone. And so the decision actually is a bit more challenging. What questions have you started mulling over for yourself and your practice as far as whether you would take Medicare or not? Some of the things that we've discussed in our group practice is what is going to be the requirements as far as documentation, paperwork, that kind of stuff. That's been a big concern. We've been private practice and well, we have a fairly robust documentation internally. 
since we're not in network with any insurance plans as it is, a lot of our documentation is for our records, our legal protections going forward. We're not necessarily already in a billing system already. We also are really evaluating, do we have the capacity to even offer more spots to people? We have the fortunate problem of we've got a full case practice that is entirely private pay and with super bills and that kind of stuff. So for us, it's really a lot more capacity questions at this point that is making us look at, is this something that makes sense for us? And then when we looked at the reimbursement rates, they don't really match up with what we are already charging our clients anyway. So it's kind of like, are we really looking at offering more accessibility to clients, but do we even have the space to offer more accessibility to clients if we can't even give them sessions in the first place? All of those are really good points. I'll, I'll kind of go through them and, and add some other ones that I've seen too, because I think it's it's really critical to understand what it would mean to your particular practice to take Medicare. So the first one is the documentation. I've heard that in applying for Medicare, there's a lot of stuff to do. And we'll talk about kind of the the steps of it after we get through the decision-making process. What we're really talking about is whether or not you can kind of get through detailed application processes. Yes, there is a bureaucracy. I've heard folks say it's a little bit of a <laughs> of a nasty process to get there, but once you're in, it's fine. And for folks who are already taking Medicaid, it's it's through the same system. You're probably already good to go. You just have to do the application that's specific to Medicare. And so it's it's something where if the paperwork is a big problem, I would really assess is it just that you hate paperwork or you think you might be bad at it? Because if you've ever taken Medicaid, whether it was at an agency or whatever, if you've ever taken insurance, if you have a robust documentation process, I think the documentation isn't horrible. And I've, I've heard tell that, you know, audits actually aren't a huge thing, especially for direct Medicare versus the um, Medicare Advantage. Private insurance companies actually are more likely to audit than Medicare is is thing I've heard. So I don't know if that's true, but but it the, the paperwork itself may not be as big of a hurdle as folks might think. Now, rates could be and so I think it's really important to understand what your rates are. And, and I know we've talked about, you know, in the Cardigan cartel, we can't, uh, <laughs> we can't share rates, but actually they are listed. And we'll, we'll put links to this in our show notes, but you can actually go through, identify where your clients are. And that would be something where it's going to, the rates are going to be based on where your clients are and see what the rate is. And they're the same across the board. There's no negotiation. The thing that you want to pay attention to is as a master's level clinician, you have to multiply whatever the rate is by 75%, which brings it down to, you know, the, the ones I've looked to are, are somewhere in the 100 to a, maybe $120 range for the 90837. And a lot of them in the 90834 are more like the $80 range. And granted, do not quote me on those because it's very different per uh, location. But and it's different locations within uh, the max that that Joy was talking about. So it's actually like Los Angeles versus San Diego versus Orange County versus Phoenix versus you know New York City, right? <laughs> right. So it's it's a little bit of a process, especially if you're doing telehealth and you're licensed in a number of states. But you're going to get a sense that that the rates are what they are. 
And you have to decide if that fits for your practice. For some folks, if they can get $110 a session and they can fill up their whole practice, that works for them financially. For other folks who are living in places with higher costs of living, and that's the rate, it may not be manageable for their practice. And so that's a really individual decision. It sounds like in looking at yours, you guys are in a higher cost of living area, that kind of stuff. It's going to, that's that's a tipping point for you. Right. It does add a lot of access. And so I think you're right. But if you don't have space for clients, becoming a Medicare provider doesn't necessarily help anybody. Right. <laughs> so I think that's a really good point. But if you're newer in a practice, then there's that element of being able to really fill up a practice with folks, especially if they're in your your niche or your specialty area. If you work with fo- older folks or if you work with folks with disabilities, being able to accept their insurance is huge and potentially means that you can have a really free-flowing, stable practice with the folks you like to see. And, you know, you basically have to market you can, you know, you're 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 guaranteed to get paid. It can get delayed at times, but it's it's a consistent pay from what I've heard of other from other Medicare providers. And so I think it's it's important to look at the specifics for your practice. So decision making wise, so just to summarize this, decision making wise, it's is this important for the clients that you want to see? Are you at a stage where you can actually provide access and have some spaces to fill for, with folks that would be wanting to use this insurance. It is a way to kind of recession-proof your your practice because there are more and more folks for whom Medicare is their insurance, you know, with the boomers aging into the system, so to speak. And I think there's also that element of, can my practice handle the clients that would be coming in? So we're looking at older clients. So you need to have those types of specialties, whether it's dementia or grief or medical concerns, that kind of stuff. And then there's also folks with disabilities, and some of those disabilities can be severe mental illness. And so looking at what can you handle within your practice and what are you set up to do? So there's clinical implications, there's fee implications, we'll have links to some of the the tools to make that decision in in the show notes. But I think we've covered how someone might make a decision. What do you think? If you have more, then I think you probably should have longer conversations than just listening to us in a brief portion of a podcast. <laughs> and we'll link to a couple of folks who have really good resources. Um, we've had Barbara Griswold on before. Uh, she's been doing some stuff in her navigating the insurance maze. We'll link to you know a specific uh, blog that she has up about that. I've also started to look at um, Gabrielle Giuliana Villani's stuff, and she actually is a Medicare consultant for folks. And so they have, I think, even more detail about how you may make the decision. And then even as we move forward, we're going to give some basics, but they'll have the details on how to to enroll should you want to enroll. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. So, okay, so moving from how to make the decision. Now, if you've made the decision to opt in, then you have to apply. I. It's not just like click a couple of boxes and let those Medicare clients come rolling into our offices. Oh, if only it were, if only it were. 
No, I think that the first thing is if you've not, if you're not on Medicaid, you may have to go into the the system where NPI is, where you get your NPI, where your identity theft stuff is, and make sure that everything is exactly the same. I had this issue because I was briefly a Medicaid provider and I my my practice name didn't line up with my name. And so I had to go back and officially get my DBA to make sure that lined up. Like I had to make sure the address, the name of the business, like all of this stuff lined up exactly before I could even actually start the application process or, or I started the application process and they're like, Whoa, 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 we can't prove that you're you. So the first thing is to make sure that your NPI actually lines up with you and that your whole business lines up and everything is the same. So if you've moved and your address changed, you would need to change the address and all of these systems. And so this is the kind of stuff that's a little bit beyond kind of the scope here. So we'll put links to folks that can talk you through applying, but just to kind of get a sense, there's going to be time to make sure that your information is accurate. Then you go to this Pico system and sign up. And that actually might be like a kind of done quickly kind of thing. Joy mentioned that there is a paper process, but yes, you've got to use the electronic process because I started looking through the paper process. And to be honest, I went into the Pico system. I could not remember my password. And then I couldn't remember why my information wasn't lining up. And so I was almost locked out. So I stopped. But so I was like, let me just look at the paper application. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so friggin' confusing. Whereas the electronic process is going to have only the questions you need to answer and it'll be a lot bit easier. So make sure your identity is accurate. <laughs> make sure you s- sign up in the PICOS process. And actually, that process is actually pretty good. They give you feedback in real time. It's once you're in that, it's just like any application. It might be a pain in the butt, but it's not bad. Then once you're approved, you actually need to make sure that you have the status in your informed consent. And you're going to have to do this if you opt out too. So everyone needs to change their informed consent starting January 1st. And then you need to make sure that you're billing accurately. And some of that's just getting it set up in your electronic health record system or your electronic billing system. And then it should be good to go. So that's what you have to do to opt in. And you have to do it for every Mac where you're licensed and are seeing clients who take Medicare. So with the informed consent, is this just as simple as putting in, I am not a Medicare provider or I am a Medicare provider? Is it just like one sentence that people need to put in there? The way I've seen it is it looks like it's a little section and it has the opportunity to kind of gather the information if you are a Medicare provider. And then if you're not a Medicare provider, there's like a a couple of statements that are required to be put in there. Those sound like great things that we should put in our show notes. We will. We will. Um, We have examples from our Mac, and I'll share those with you. But it's something where, and if you're a CAMFT member, the CAMFT Medicare Corner is great. I saw that AAMFT has stuff, ACA has stuff, NBCC has stuff. So a lot of that stuff you can find in a lot of different places. So we'll put some stuff in our show notes and potentially maybe like a list of steps to take as, as best as we can. But in truth you know, finishing the opting in part, it's it's kind of a slightly more complicated signing up to be on an insurance panel. Now, second for opting in, so that's direct fee for service. If you want to take Medicare for like an insurance plan, like a Medicare Advantage, like the insurance plan that you're already credentialed with, then you just have to let them know. And 
if you don't, let's say you just want to do fee-for-service kind of direct Medicare versus Medicare Advantage, then you do have to opt out with each insurance plan you don't want to take Medicare for. And this is similar to Medicaid. Um, you just have to opt in or out with the insurance plans you're credentialed with. If you're new and you're wanting to apply for everything, you have to be credentialed with an insurance plan to be able to take Medicare Advantage through that insurance plan. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm getting a little complicated. No, I think it it makes sense, but I'm also getting the sense that my approach on this is I, my head starting to spin. So clarify, boil this down to a couple of bullet points for our listeners here. Okay. If you want to take Medicare, apply for Medicare. We talked about that. If you want to take Medicare Advantage on insurance panels that you are already credentialed with, let those insurance panels know. And they may ask you, right? Do you want to take Medicare or not? <laughs> And you say yes or no. If you're new and you want to take Medicare, apply for Medicare, apply for other insurance panels, and then opt in or out on Medicare for those insurance panels. Okay. All right. So that's taking Medicare. Now, as I'm hearing you leaning this direction, I'm leaning this direction, opting out. Yes. So opting out. Being sure to opt out is really important if you are seeing clients who are on Medicare or you think you might be seeing clients who are on Medicare and you want to be able to bill, bill private pay. And so what that looks like is that there is a opt-out affidavit that you need to do with your particular MAC. And so figure out what your MAC is. We'll link to the map that shows you what MAC you're in. And, and this is where you are licensed and seeing clients so that you might have several MACs you have to do this for. For folks who are licensed in multiple states or part of a like the counseling compact or the SIPACT kind of stuff, because everybody needs to <laughs> opt in or out at this point, all mental health providers do. Check to see where you need to opt in or opt out. It's my understanding is if you're licensed, you need to do it in every single state you're licensed in. With the counseling compact or SIPAC, those types of things, I think there's a little bit of a, a slightly different process. And so I'll I'll link to something there in the show notes about, you know, where you need to find that. Potentially you're gonna need to call your max or or those types of things. I have one that I'm going to have to check into because I'm licensed in two states and I'm a registered telehealth provider in a third state. And so that's three different Macs. And so the third Mac, the one where I'm registered, I don't think I need to opt out, but I'm just going to double check. So I'm going to send a quick email to their uh, to that Mac and see what happens. You actually physically send or fax an opt-out affidavit that they've provided to you. So you have to print it out <laughs> and <laughs> sign it. Uh, and then once you have been opted out, you want to check, there's a place to check, and I'll put that link in the show notes to make sure that they actually got your opt-out and they're not thinking that you're somewhere in this gray area. Just to, to make sure that folks get this, if you opt out of Medicare, but you are taking private insurance, you're going to need to let all of your insurance plans know that you're opting out of Medicare as well. So if you're not a Medicare provider, it's not like, oh, they just know that. They're going to Assume that you're opting in because you're an insurance provider. So you have to opt out everywhere, but I think that's a one-time deal. You need to put your status in your informed consent for everyone. The thing we talked about, like, I'm not a Medicare provider, and we'll have that statement. And then if you have any Medicare patients and you need to clarify with everyone, 
do they have Medicare? Because it's not just folks who are over 65. It is also folks with disabilities, that kind of stuff. Then you have to have them sign a private contract. Now, at the federal level, they have this is what needs to go into your private contract. At least our Mac says, have them sign this form and they've created it for us. And so we'll we'll link to our Mac, uh, Mac's uh, private contract in the show notes for folks that need to find it. But you need to have anyone who is on Medicare sign that private contract. So it's an additional form you're going to need to have them sign. So I'm trying to picture how we're going to implement this in our practice. So each of us have our own individual informed consents that we will put this language in. In our initial intake questionnaire, we will have a question that is just like, are you in... Medicare is this uh, Medicare application thing that you're doing. And then with a little note right there that says, we are not Medicare providers. And then if somebody says that, yes, we are part of Medicare, then we have to give them the separate contract that says, just so you fully finally understand, we are outside of the system. You are paying us privately. Here's all this language from the Mac. Yes. And one of the important parts of that is that they are agreeing not to try to bill Medicare for your services, because if that happens, then um, Medicare is going to be mad at you. This is where the Medicare police comes in. (laughs) (laughs) Now, if you've opted out and they still try to bill Medicare, that I think it probably just annoys people. I don't think there's actually anything there. But if you're not opted out of Medicare and one of your patients uh, applies, you know, tries to get reimbursement from Medicare for your services, they might come after you because you've not opted out. So then that would be the purpose of having all of this documentation that I'm envisioning implementing in our practice that is these clients had plenty of warning. They theoretically knew we've reminded them from time to time and we did not everything on our end. This is not a our practice problem that initiated all of this. Yes. Once again, go to here's all of the documentation that proved that we did what we did. But yeah, we did what we were supposed to. Yeah. And and so initially, if you opt in or opt out, so the first time you opt in or opt out, you have 90 days to change your mind. Mm-hmm. And then you can opt out again or you can opt in or whatever, right? So I think for folks who are on the fence, do it anyway. Go towards where you're leaning and then take some time to think about it if you need to within the first 90 days. However, Once you are truly opted out, it's an opt-out for two years. And so this is something where for two years, you will not be able to take Medicare. And it will automatically renew. And they'll let you know a little bit before the renewal date, say, hey, you still if you still don't want to take Medicare, do nothing. At least that's what I'm understanding. If you'd like to take Medicare, opt in now, start the application process. So I think they they give you an opportunity to opt back in. But it is two years. I don't think you can be like in a year, be like, oh, you know what? I really wish I was taking Medicare. You're going to have to wait. They don't want these midterm things to to happen. And I think I'm not sure this is something that, that I think we'll have to look at over time, that when you get to your two year mark, my understanding and I'll we can double check this and, and you know, kind of share information as we go along you may need to have your clients who are still Medicare eligible and you're still doing services with to sign another private contract each two-year period. But it would be for everybody all at the same time because it's your two-year period, not their two-year period. For people who have made it, I don't want to do this. They have to re-opt out 
Even though they've opt out, like this seems automatically renews your opt out. Okay. But your private contract with your clients does not. And so as I'm thinking about this, I would just have folks sign, you know, updated forms every year. So you just don't even think about it. <laughs> By the way, I'm still not part of Medicare. I have to Medicare who has no governance over me. Yeah. Is still making me have you resign this paperwork. Yeah. Okay. That just more burdensome, even though you have opted well, out of the system. Yeah. So there's the the your informed consent. So if you do any changes, obviously that's every year. The good faith estimate needs to be done every year. And now you've also got the Medicare opt-out form for Medicare patients. Got it. Okay. <laughs> so it's it's just a whole new stack of paperwork that you should put out every year. Like, Pretty much. That's what I'm thinking. I mean, I think it can be fairly easy. You know, if you have an electronic health system where you can kind of put all that stuff into something and like have somebody sign one thing. And so you've got your your stuff for, you know, folks who are not Medicare eligible and you have your fo stuff for folks who are Medicare eligible. Everybody just signs it at the beginning of each year. OK. So that's my thought process as I build these things out. Maybe that's not as easy as I think it is. But to me, it feels like it's not. As long as your clients, it's easy and your clients actually sign these things timely, I think you're pretty good to go. So if I'm taking away everything from this, it's imagine that this is the most confusing process possible. <laughs> Look at all of the conflicting information that you're getting from everybody, including us, and then still go to one of the very helpful step-by-step -step tutorials for a visual yes. process that we will include in our show notes. Yes. Because... Once you have decided whether or not to participate in this, whether it makes sense for you, there's going to be a bunch of steps that you have to do either way that includes setting yourself some reminders for how you follow up with clients on all of these kinds of things. And your situation may change and being expected to remember all of this stuff from an auditory podcast is just an introduction to things. But the big takeaway is there are lots of resources here. We want to make sure that people are at least talking and listening about this, but it's probably not as confusing as I'm making it if you're actually able to picture some of this stuff and follow one of the helpful step-by-step -step guides. And I think for folks who are planning to opt out, if you are not seeing anyone who's on Medicare currently, you might have a little bit of time because it's really making sure that you're not seeing a Medicare patient when you've not determined your status. And so, yes, you need to act quickly and I would act more quickly than you might want to, but this is, this is not the big stressful thing that, that I think a lot of folks are concerned about. Make your decision, take some action, make sure you're not in, in, in that gray area where you're seeing Medicaid, Medicare patients and not either opted in or opted out, but otherwise take a breath. It's going to be okay. So you can find our very helpful show notes over at mtsgpodcast.com. Follow us on our social media for some updates on this stuff. Join our Facebook group, the Modern Therapist Group, to continue the discussions on this. And until next time, I'm Kurt Woodhelm with Katie Vernoy and joined earlier by Joy Alafia. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist 
and use the promo code MODERNTHERAPISTS and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. 